0: With topics ranging from how cloud computing is streamlining government operations to exploring the intersection of machine learning and healthcare data, Foley & Larder's innovative technology insights podcast examines not just the legal ramifications of developments at the cutting edge of technology, but how they are affecting businesses, governments, and individuals. In each episode, we will lead discussions between researchers, industry leaders, and regulators for their thoughts on this changing world. So without further ado, let's get started.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is Pavan Agarwal, and I'm a partner in Foley's Washington, D.C. office, as well as chair of the firm's innovative technology sector. Our featured guest for this episode of Innovative Technology Insights is Peter Prettenhofer. Peter, who's joining us today, is vice president of engineering at DataRobot, and we'll describe the company in a moment. He's been with them for nearly a decade. Seeing them from their growth, being part of that core team from just over a dozen folks to over a thousand employees. He led and managed the engineering team that was focused on machine learning for quite some time. And for the past couple of years, he's been working on strategic initiatives in the office of the CTO and a focus on product innovation. And that's really caused, if you will, that added effort to determine where AI is going. Prior to DataRobot, Peter was active in the open source area He's a core developer of one of the most widely used open source toolkits for machine learning with more than 8 million users and 30 million monthly downloads. He's authored research papers that have combined more than 70,000 citations. Peter, welcome. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us. Why don't we just start with who is DataRobot? Where do
2: they fit in the market? Yeah, so thanks for having me. So who is DataRobot? DataRobot was founded in 2012 in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, and is the pioneer in automation for AI and machine learning. The key value proposition of DataRobot is to help customers kind of optimize their business using AI. And our strategy is to to collaborate with customers to make AI a core competency by providing basically two things. One is DataRobot AI platform, which is a complete AI lifecycle platform, integrates their existing infrastructure investments, both in the cloud and on-prem, and second, applied AI expertise, basically professional services, derived from the knowledge and experience gained by our customer-facing data scientists working with about a thousand customers and on tens of thousands of AI use cases for nearly a decade. And so where do we fit into the market? Unlike other AI offerings, only DataRobot really offers that full AI lifecycle platform, broad technical integrations, as well as these professional services, these AI experts who customers rely on to really help envision what's possible with AI and achieve it. Moreover, like contrary to many of our competitors, we were founded as an AI company uh, about a decade ago and we still stay true to our roots there and really our patent portfolio that was your firm helped us co-create is really a testament to that strong IP we have in the area. And so so to just give you an idea who our customers are, so 40% of of the Fortune 50 currently data with customers, eight of the top 10 US banks, seven of the top 10 pharma companies we have seven of the top 10 telco companies as well and four of the top 10 global manufacturers so the kinds of use cases that data robot helps its customers with are in the banking space you know detect money laundering for example with pharma companies and retail companies we help with planning and demand forecasting with the telco companies it's a lot about churn modeling and global manufacturers it's it's a lot about predictive maintenance so i got to ask Six
1: months ago, if I used the words chat or open AI, I don't think anybody would know who they are or what that is. What is chat What is this generative AI stuff?
2: Yeah, so generative AI is a, is a new field that describes basically systems and methods that can be used to create new content, including text, images, audio, video, code, much more potentially in the future. And chat is a concrete generative AI system that is kind of based on a Foundation model that kind of completes texts. So we call it a language model. It's just a very simple thing that just, like you give it some context, some text, and it completes, tries to complete it, right? But it can be instructed by human feedback to complete text in a certain way. It was initially designed as a chatbot and for question answering, but it has other emergent behaviors that we kind of, its users are just exploring. And so if you haven't tried it, I highly recommend, there's one thing you take away from my, for our conversation that you should really try it out it's i think you'll be very surprised about the quality of the question answering that it's providing i see excellent
1: now generative ai you know it's obviously getting a tremendous amount of attention
2: is that what ai is is it just generative are there other areas of ai no it's actually uh generative ai describes we really models that analyze data and of generate new data, right? So it belongs to a broader class of AI that's characterized by what we call weak supervision by a human kind of uh, teacher, right? Seeks to find kind of latent structure in your data and use that to solve a specific task. For example, like grouping similar objects or finding anomalies in your data, right? Or generating synthetic data, right? Other areas of AI are characterized by much stronger supervision, such as discriminative modeling, right? Classifying. Whether or not an email is spam, or classifying whether a patient will be readmitted in the hospital in the next 30 days, right? Regression is another example where you're trying to predict a real value target, like the price of a stock. Time series forecasting is another very important area of AI ML. So you can think about of this supervised AI ML as a kind of programming almost, this kind of programming by example. Until now, really most enterprise use cases have been supervised. And thus, it's the main focus for AI companies out there, including you. I see. Okay.
1: You mentioned what I would consider, and maybe you and I have chatted about it, as being sort of foundation models, mm-hmm. whether uh, it's the regression area, whether it's you do know, sort of object detection, whatever it is. What is it? Why is that important? You mentioned a few application spaces. Are there, do you see this evolving? at a more accelerated rate, or are we going to kind of continue to move along in AI the way we have been?
2: Yeah, so I think it's, it's drastically going to change how we approach AI problems in the future, right? And so foundation models are kind of generative models trained on very broad data, right? So that can be adapted also to a wide range of then downstream tasks, not requiring massive amounts of annotated data like we needed in the past. If you trained a machine eye, you had to mm-hmm. provide huge amounts of data to 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 train it. Now, with these foundation models, you can adapt them for your given task at hand with very little data. And so this significantly lowers the barrier of entry into AI, allowing new players to build AI systems like GUI's email autocompletion, right, that previously simply couldn't. They couldn't because of the computational burden, but especially because of the sheer requirement of large amounts of data. This potential for customization and personalization, that will fuel, we think at least, like new innovation and specifically in human computer interaction and around conversational interfaces. Right now, these foundation models are fairly limited to text and images, but even there, like I do expect that moving forward, we'll probably also see that in in other domains, right? That's where we really see like most of the disruptive power. Some of you might've seen a system that's called stable diffusion that really changes how designers might work, right? They might prototype, not by just starting from blank canvas, but basically by, Instructing the system, the AI, to generate the first version of it, and then kind of refining it as we go. And the similar innovation is actually happening in software development, where literally you can instruct the machine to write the code that implements your intention, not perfectly, but often good enough. Excellent. You know,
1: I've I've heard you use the term, and I think it's been being used elsewhere. Sort of the iPhone moment for artificial intelligence. Give our team a little bit about what you think
2: that means. Basically, what really think is that this kind of chat GPT, right, even though it's also has certain flaws, right? I mean, if you start using it, it starts kind of hallucinating. It it comes up with like not truthful answers, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it really kind of shows and masterfully demonstrates this kind of the art of the possible. Uh, And I do think that once, you know, you show people kind of what is, what is possible, I think, you know, innovation will, will rapidly catch on. And, uh, you know, I do think then, you know, again, the level of like human computer interaction that, you know, a conversation system like ChatGPT is able to provide, it's just going to open up so many more applications and in, in use cases that I think we'll just see that sprawl of innovation really coming after something like ChatGPT. So if we
1: start to transition, if you will, from this concept of AI as this, in a sense, almost this crazy kind of artificial intelligence, you know, do you see the perception of AI changing as from being, you know, what maybe most people out in the, public world think of this kind of weird kind of interesting but maybe for computer science-y type folks do you think perception is going to change and the impact on businesses is going to change
2: so I mean one thing that I do see change is I think in the previous in AI it was it was uh mostly seen as like there's this mass algorithm kind of somewhere in the back that implements intelligence right and, and that's kind of the key value proposition i do think that that is going to change quite a bit uh you know I, I do think that for example data in particular now will become ever more important why because given this nature of the foundation models training these foundation models right And these large language models for example is extremely costly to do so and most people do not have access to the sheer amounts of data you need to train these foundation models right and so they will be centralized most of the you know big players like the big five will basically position themselves, right? And most cloud providers will have their own offerings in that space. But I think they will be fairly, quote unquote, commoditized. And because everybody will get access uh, to these and there will be little differentiation, right? So where the value then really comes is not from the models, but basically from adapting these models to your use case. And you basically do that by using your proprietary data, often your user data user interaction data, to really kind of adapt these models to do something, right? Summarize your uh, customer interactions to be able to provide really personalized answers to your customers, right? For customer relationship management, right? And so I I really think that kind of companies that really own their own customer data and the interaction data, they will be able to innovate and create new products and services using generative AI. I do not expect so many, like that, there'll be a fierce competition necessarily in this space for building these foundation models, right? Because I do think that's, extremely expensive and ultimately chip manufacturing probably gain <laughs> the most. Great. Thank you. And so what
1: about inside of companies? You know, historically, I know this isn't true in in all companies, but historically, you know, there's a team, a technical team sort of looking at AI perhaps or or out there just sort of watching it. Do you see it migrating up to the executive level? Is it already there? I know you all are obviously in the space, but what are you
2: finding in as you look across the marketplace. Right, yeah. So, kind of, see, I always have been talking about AI and kind of future potential for the last decade, you know, I should, I should yeah. say, right? But many have been slow to act and mostly been experimenting with AI, right? The economic downturn kind of put pressure on these efforts, right? Focus was obviously on cutting costs. I mean, definitely one thing we see now is that just many companies are now being asked about their AI strategy and trying to kind of come up with an AI strategy, right? Uh, but I think it's a bit too early to say. Like, if you okay, want specific actions, you
1: okay. I have one last question for you. Do you see, you know, you you got into it a little bit any transitions in the marketplace? Are we talking about different kinds of M and A, new players? How do you see? Doesn't have to be precise.
2: It the, you yeah. know, we're not going to hold you to it. But what do you see out there? Yeah, so Here's my perspective. So, you know, on the one hand. And we already see the hyperscalers kind of competing for market, but actually more for mind share right now. And they, I think, really, together with the chip manufacturers, they seem to be the ones that you know provide the picks and shovels <laughs> for you know kind of this immediate like gold rush moment, right? Many new startups are also opportunistically kind of jogging into position in this new growth market for generative AI development tools in particular, right? Basically to help others take advantage of it. Existing AI players, like the robots, for example you know will not want to miss out on this opportunity you know as it provides growth potential investors are hungry for uh you know to see growth after basically a slow 2022 and from this perspective i do see on the one hand ai space becoming a bit more contested and also noisier right because like customers that are users that want to adopt ai but didn't quite know how to start for them it might be even noisier than before right but on the other hand i also do anticipate like greater m and activities because of basically two forces, right? I mean, some companies, they might see acquisitions as a short path to building an AI strategy, right? And if you look at, you know, what the hype, you know, Google and, and, and Microsoft did right now I and mean, others, you know, let's say an Oracle, like an SP, they might get prompted to, you know, okay, what are we doing in this space? And then for non-profitable companies, that might be the a quicker wait for an exit, or they might even be forced to sell given the tough funding climate, right? So I do expect more MA activity. So far we haven't seen Great. Peter, thank you so much. Can't tell you
1: how insightful it is to hear it exactly from somebody that's really studying the field, really following and really living through it. So we really appreciate the insight you've given us here. Stay well, but on behalf of all of us, thank you again.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this production from Foley & Lardner LLP. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and is intended as a general overview. The podcast does not constitute legal advice nor solicitation to provide legal services. It's not meant to convey a legal position of Foley and Lardner LLP on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. Any opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the firm, its partners, or its clients. And listening to the podcast does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. The listener should not act upon this information without seeking counsel from a licensed attorney. Foley makes no representations or warranties of any kind expressed or implied as to the content of the podcast or to its accuracy or completeness and accepts no responsibility for an individual who acts or refrains from acting Based on information obtained from the podcast. In some jurisdictions, the contents of this podcast may be considered attorney advertising. If applicable, please note that prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.